0: Hello everybody, welcome back. Do you really know what it means to be a CEO? I'm gonna hit you with the the hard-hitting question straight up today. A lot of people are the CEO of their own company. Of course, if you if you have created your own business, you are the CEO, you probably wear a lot of different hats. But what that role actually entails probably doesn't involve a lot of what you are doing. And that's why I wanted to bring on my guest today, Tatiana O'Hara. Very excited about this one. Tatiana is an agency and team operations coach. So what she does is she helps successful but overwhelmed business owners create the structure they need for their team and their operations so that they can focus on growing sustainably and scaling their business sustainably. So I really wanted to get her on because I think a lot of us do lots of different things in our business. And then we get to a point where we're like, okay, it's probably time to outsource, probably time to grow the company, grow the business. And then you make your first hire or you start hiring a few different people. So in this episode, we talk about the smart way to hire people so that you're actually maximizing revenue. And that includes... Doing something that a lot of you probably do when you first hire people. If you're someone that hires consultant after consultant after consultant, maybe you've got a VA, maybe you've got a social media manager, maybe you've got a podcast manager, maybe you've got this and that. You're going to want to listen to this episode or if you are thinking of hiring someone for the first time definitely this is the episode for you because you want to get it right from the very beginning so that you are intelligent about who you're hiring so that you're not wasting money on hires that aren't right for you and how to hire people that you think I mean it's always a bit of a risk isn't it but how to hire people that you think will be a good fit for the team a good fit for you and how to figure that out really quickly in the hiring process so I am looking forward to diving in. Without further ado, here is Tatiana. So, Tatiana, thank you so much for joining me today. Very excited to have you on. Yes, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So, I like to start the episodes with talking about the entrepreneurship journey of my guest because i think that's always such an interesting topic i know that a lot of people listening are probably in the earlier stages or at least the first few years of their business and i know that your journey to creating the business that you have at the moment wasn't necessarily the smoothest journey yes. <laughs> so i'd love if you could tell us about about that process and how how everything came to be
1: yeah for sure so i actually started in corporate right out of college Uh, working as a district manager for Aldi grocery store. Um, I managed about five really high sales volume stores in the Metro Atlanta area. And I learned a lot about leadership, how to manage a team and how to like effectively communicate and delegate so that we can get the result that we're looking for. So when I came in stores were in shambles by the time I left, you know, we were one of the top performing districts about three, four years later. Um so then right after, you know, kind of dwindling down in my corporate career, I knew I was hungry to get into entrepreneurship and starting my own business, but I didn't quite know what that was just yet. So my father and I uh, we wanted to start flipping houses and didn't necessarily at the time I didn't feel comfortable putting that amount of money in. So I was like, okay, what can we quote unquote flip that's a little less of a risk than a house? And so we decided to do cars. So we started like a family auto brokerage, which still runs to this day. Um, I have stepped away, but my dad still runs it. And yeah, so that was actually the business that helped me quit my job. Um, So I was doing that full time. But then I swear, it seems like as soon as I quit and went full time in the car business, the car business started to tank. Um, I moved out of my house that I owned at the time and moved in a tenant who ended up being a complete con artist didn't pay rent, squatted for like five months, filed bankruptcy, all this stuff. So it's like my car business is tanking. My tenant is scamming me out of money. So I quickly dug myself into a really big hole. You know, all the money that I had saved leading up to quitting my job, you know, it it was gone just like that, but silver lining, got my real estate license, sold the house. And then I was able to use that profit to jumpstart my coaching business it took me a little bit of time to find my footing in coaching. I think in the beginning, I thought, okay, you've started quite a few like you know endeavors in your lifetime, so you should just be a business coach and teach people how to start a business. But that wasn't really fulfilling for me. So I'd say about six to nine months down the line, I kind of started to connect some of the dots of the things that I really loved doing at Aldi. I just didn't love the environment that I was doing it in and realized like, hey, entrepreneurs actually need help with team building too. They need help with leading their teams too. And at the time, there was a huge gap in the industry. It seemed like nobody was really going much deeper than how to hire a VA. So yeah, I started doing VIP days, did about 40 of those, um, and then eventually turned that kind of curriculum into my group coaching program, Grindaholics Anonymous, which is like our bread and butter today. So that's a short, long version
0: (laughs) of my journey <laughs> when you when that car business was starting to tank and when you had that awful tenant in your house were you ever tempted to be like what the hell am I doing shall I just go back let's go back to the corporate grind like this is so difficult it would have taken a lot of gumption yeah. to invest that money from the house into starting your own business like what we yeah. threw that
1: no, absolutely. Well, so because I had my real estate license, that was always my backup plan. I was like, I don't think I'll ever go back to work full time. But worst case scenario, I can really start you know, selling houses. And at the time I did, I think I had sold two or three and average commission may have been like $8,000 or so. So it kind of was carrying me over. At the time, my cost of living was really low. And then also in full transparency, that was kind of like the peak of COVID. So I quit my job August of 2019 and then covid started in March of that following year um which was really in the thick of it. I didn't sell my house until April. So in March it was like I was at my absolute lowest. But um I was able to get unemployment from my car business um because I was an employee of the business. So just one of the many perks of, you know, having your own company. So between the little $400 a week I was getting from that and selling houses here and there it was working. Barely. <laughs> Barely it was, it was working. Yeah. And I don't know, it, it's just kind of like, I feel like once you get a taste of what your life can be like when you build something on your own, it just feels so hard to give up on that no matter how hard, you know, it it gets. So
0: I agree. And I think that's part of being a true entrepreneur and a business owner as well, is that you probably are going to fail a million times and that's yeah. what separates that kind of person from someone yeah. that probably will go and look no shame each to their own, but that probably would go back because you're like, no, I'm going to make this work. It's the tenacity, I think. Right. And in hindsight,
1: I feel like I'm, I'm grateful that I had so many challenges early on. Um, because, you know, even coming off of last year, last year was a really challenging year for the company for different reasons. You know, we have w- completely different problems now, but it's like, I feel like I've, started to build up an endurance for this kind of thing because of the struggles that I had early on.
0: Exactly. It builds up that resilience. And so if there are are roadblocks and speed bumps, you're going to be able to overcome those much easier than you would Mm -hmm. had that had it been totally smooth sailing at the start. So it's nice to look back and be like, Oh, actually I'm quite grateful for those experiences.
1: Absolutely.
0: So you help people scale their businesses by building teams, by actually stepping into a CEO role. What are you, what do you quite often see people when they come to you? What are some of the most common problems they're having? So they own their own business, maybe they're, you know, a coach or a service provider. And usually I'm assuming they've hired a few people in their business, but something's not working. So what are the most common things that people come to you with? And why are those the biggest issues that you see?
1: Wow, there's so many. <laughs> so I would say like on the beginning to higher end of the spectrum, it's most definitely um, this thing that happens in our our minds where it's like, I've been running this business by myself for so long. I've been able to handle it on my own for so long. And now something is pulling me in this direction of, I need more help, but it's kind of like struggling to identify as that type of person, right? Like going from being the side hustler to like, this is a full-time thing for me, or even just looking at your company as like this thing that you started, this passion project, your baby, and being able to like take a step back and look at it as a company and starting to make the types of decisions that the company needs. So I find in the beginning, it's a lot of mindset stuff, right? And so what ends up happening is we kind of start hiring like really random service providers and contractors for one-off things like VIP days, you know, come and set this up or I hire this person, but they're only helping me during a launch and kind of having that fear of commitment. And I'm not saying, you know, jump straight into full-time because I don't think anybody needs that for their first hire. Um, But yeah, I would say it's like this internal struggle of like, I know this is what I need, but this doesn't feel natural for me. It feels kind of scary. So that's probably the biggest one. But then I think once people actually make that hire, it's actually learning how to trust the person and like, Go deeper than just the surface level. I think especially the term contractor, it makes you feel like this person doesn't really work for my business. They're employed by themselves. And all of that is very true. And if you don't follow those rules, you know, the the government will come and get you. Um, But I would say past that. You know, we have the ability to go so deep with our team and sometimes we're just scratching the surface because we're limiting them to just, you know, managing our emails and sending proposals and invoices. But it's like, how can you really bring people into the business as like thought partners with you and to help strategize through some of these issues? And so a lot of the stress and stuff that you're still bearing on your own shoulders, You can share that with your team, but you have to start to create the type of culture where that's the norm, you know, like not trying to hide every single detail from the people that work with you, but rather bringing them in and allowing them to be a part of the solution and not just task rabbits, you know, kind of on the back end. So I would say those are probably like the two biggest things is like making the decision to hire, but then once you've hired them, like allowing them to actually meet their potential and trusting them to do their job.
0: And how do you do that? How do you say if you hire a VA, which is usually the first hire I think most people tend to make, Mm -hmm. how do you make sure that you're actually using them to their best, to your advantage and to their advantage, I suppose, like using their skills, but actually making sure that you're getting the best out of them as well?
1: How do you do that?
0: So I think it first
1: starts with being really clear on the support that you need before you hire them. There's a lot of noise out there about hiring and you're going to think, oh, I need to hire. Let me just go grab a quick VA. Let me talk to my friend who has a VA and see if they're taking on any more clients. And so it's almost like putting the cart before the horse in a way. It's like we're trying to figure out, you know, we hire the person and then we're trying to backtrack and figure out, okay, now what should you do? Like, how can you help me? But really, I think a powerful exercise to do is to map out all the tasks that you're doing, you know, day to day in the business and identifying like, where do I need to be? What what tasks should I as the CEO be working on? And then now you have this laundry list of all the other things that eventually you'd like to be able to get off of your plate and working through some of those, even the tasks that feel impossible to delegate. I promise if you can't delegate the whole thing, there's probably bits and pieces of it that you can um, so having that clarity early on is going to allow you to better delegate to them. I think the second thing is having really powerful communication systems. So, I mean, sometimes I hear people are still only communicating with their VA via email or via DM on Instagram, right? And so implementing something like Slack or a project management tool like ClickUp or Asana, where you can see your projects from a you know a bird's eye view, um, and then... After having communication systems, I think just actually communicating, right? Like in your meetings with this person, being able to vocalize, hey, here's what you're working on. Here's what I really need help with this week. And being okay with um, rerouting sometimes. I think a lot of times we are afraid of our team members seeing us as people who don't know what we want or are constantly changing direction However, like we have to remember that a lot of that just comes with the territory of having a business. Like things are gonna change, right? You're gonna plan things out and then mid-launch things aren't going the way they're supposed to go. And so we have to reroute and just being that confident leader who's okay with saying, hey, I know I told you to work on this, but like we need to redirect. Like, are you okay with jumping on this instead? Um, and all of that comes, I think, with tenure. The more you get to know the person, the more you're working with this person, the more comfortable you're gonna feel kind of having these types of conversations.
0: One thing you said there was being a confident leader. And I think there's a huge misconception out there that you're sort of naturally born a leader Mm -hmm. and that it's just an an innate skill, but actually leadership is something that is a really a learned skill and needs to be nurtured and honed in on. Is this Mm -hmm. something that you tend to work on with your clients and you teach them how to step into more of that leadership role?
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Something I like to say is like leadership isn't even just a skill. It's really a state of being. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, you know, we think leadership comes down to the way that we delegate and the way that we communicate. And all of that is true. But leadership really starts within and it's having confidence in yourself as the owner of your company, having confidence in the way that you serve your clients and the way that you show up. And all of that kind of naturally reflects in your leadership And I think when entrepreneurs aren't confident, when they're lacking that confidence, when there's self-work that they maybe need to be doing in, in therapy or something like that, it comes out in the form of their leadership too, right? Like if you're really insecure about the end result of your company, the end result of what you do for your clients, you're likely going to project that insecurity onto your team members in the form of micromanagement, passive aggression, you know, X, Y, and Z. And so, yeah, I think being a, a good leader to your people really starts with being able to lead yourself well, being able to lead your company well. And I think when you master those two things, we can have this leadership conversation and it feels a lot less daunting, right? Even if you're the most confident person in the world, it is kind of scary leading people. Um, But I, I think that first piece is really, you know, essential.
0: Yeah. I really like that you said that it's about being able to lead yourself first. And then when you can master that, you're much better able to lead other people, which makes total sense. Yeah. I think that's really great. Mm -hmm. One thing that I struggled with because I have hired a VA and at the start, well, not even at the start, before I'd hired this person, it took me a long time to figure out what am I going to even give this person? So going back to what you were saying earlier about making sure you know what to actually offboard onto that person. And it took me quite a while to be like, do I need one? Do I not? I probably have the time to do these tasks, but should I be doing them if I want to scale my business? And that was ultimately what it came down to is thinking, am I able to continue on like this? Am I able to scale like this? How do you figure out exactly what tasks you should be doing and shouldn't be doing as a CEO of your business, even if it's just your first hire?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I actually have a a free resource. It's called a task matrix. And it's basically like an Eisenhower matrix. Um, So you break this piece of paper down into four quadrants, right? And so what you're going to do is make a laundry list of all the things you do day to day in your business. So it may take you a week or so to compile this list, because you may find that there's things that you do on Wednesdays that you don't do on Mondays. So if you make the list on Monday, you may completely forget about some of those other things. So you make this list of everything that you're doing and you kind of categorize it into these four quadrants, right? So it's the first one is the tasks that you like doing that you're really good at, right? So that's typically your zone of genius. Then we're looking at the tasks that you like doing, but you're not so good at, right? So it's kind of like, oh, if I could delegate it, it's great. If not, I can hang on to it a little bit longer. Then you're looking at the tasks that you don't like doing, but you are good at, right? So it's kind of like, If push comes to shove, I can keep this on my plate a little bit longer, but like would like to get this (laughs) off my plate because I don't enjoy it. And then finally, it's the task that you don't like that you're also not good at. These are typically the ones that, (laughs) you know, fill up the quickest. And so when you're looking at this quadrant, from a bird's eye view, you can kind of see proportionately like, where am I spending my time? Am I spending most of my time on the bottom half, which is all the things I don't like doing? Am I spending most of my time on the right side, which is all the things that I'm not really good at, right? Um, And then you can kind of start to formulate this list of the things that you want to delegate. And eventually you want to get to a point where the only tasks that are left on your plate is in that first quadrant, which is your zone of genius, right? The things that you like to do, that you're really good at. And so that's kind of how you can start to compile this list of, well, who do I need to hire, right? So you look at all the tasks that you want to delegate, let's say it's 10 things and they're all in the realm of administration of some sort, then yeah, probably go ahead and get yourself a VA. But if you look at this task and, or if you look at this list and it's mostly tasks that are marketing related or related to your podcast or related to your clients, then that's likely going to point at you needing someone different. You may end up needing a marketing assistant. You may end up needing a podcast manager or another you, right? If you run a, an ads agency you might need to hire another ads manager to help you with some of the client fulfillment parts. Um so that's kind of the most simple exercise that I typically give people who are trying to figure out like who does that first person need to be and what exactly should I be giving them to do.
0: I really like that. I saw a video on your Instagram where someone's a bit further on and they're the CEO and they've hired maybe a VA, then a social media manager, then a podcast manager, then a copywriter and then You made the excellent point, (laughs) and I know quite a few people that run their businesses like this, that eventually all of these people, you maybe have like six or seven people, still end up reporting to you. So all the questions come to you as a CEO. You're -hmm. still putting out lots of fires. You're probably not even that better off with your time because you've got to talk to all these people all day. Mm -hmm. What's the solution for that? How can you not run your business in that way, which doesn't sound very sustainable, but I know a lot of people do run their businesses that way. So yeah. How do we, how do we fix that?
1: Yeah. Well, first I just want to say, I think it's like one of the most painful places to be because your payroll at that point has quadrupled. You're paying all these one-off contractors and it's almost to the point where you could have just afforded to hire one full-time employee instead of all these, you know, random people that, Have seven other clients and you're just, you know, one portion of their day. Um, But I would say to prevent that, it's probably two things. So one is hiring strategically. So one thing that I work on with my clients is helping you look at your big picture vision, right? So it's 2023. I was going to say two, it's 2023 (laughs) now, but let's say we're looking at where do we want to be by 2025 or even 2024, right? We don't have to look super far in the distance, And we're going to look at what type of revenue do we want to bring in? What type of offers do we want to have? So on and so forth. And so from there, we can kind of say, okay, we want to get 3x from where we are now. We want to start offering this type of service. What team do we need in place to make that happen? And so we're building out the entire org chart infrastructure of your team now um, on paper so that you can use that as your hiring plan. I think the reason why people get to the point of like the example I gave in my video where you have eight random contractors all reporting to you is because of impulsive hiring. It's because of making decisions based on where you are right now, right? Man, right now this hurts. So let me go hire this. Two months later, ooh, I saw this person marketing themselves. That looked really good. Let me go pick them up too. And then we just keep doing that, keep doing that. We're just collecting, you know, just different team members. Um, But then we look up and we have the payroll that you would assume is going to help you get to a million, two million, whatever your goal is, but it's not because they weren't strategically placed, if that makes sense. um. So yeah, I would say starting there. But then the other part of that, so if you're already about halfway into your team building journey and you're like, man, I needed an org chart three years ago, but like, what do I do now? I think it's just about making sure that you have leadership in place. I would say once you're to the point where you have a couple team members in different industries, maybe you have a marketing person, a salesperson, a a VA, whatever, then we might want to look at what would it look like to have some sort of operations leader, right, some sort of manager on the company or on the team that can start to funnel some of these questions, that can manage our projects from a high level, that can oversee, you know, new product development, whatever, so that you as the CEO can focus. Because the more team members you get, the more your time is actually going to be pulled into managing that team. And that's something that we don't talk about enough. You think that hiring eight people means you're just going to be doing no work all the time, but it's it's quite the contrary. You're still going to be working. It's just a different type of work. So those two things, strategically mapping out who you need from the beginning and following a plan, but then also making sure that you put leadership in place at the right time.
0: And what things should a CEO be doing then, would you say? on a daily basis? Like, I think a lot of people are like, yeah, I'm a CEO, but they don't really know what that means or what that looks like. Mm -hmm. What does it look like?
1: Yeah. So I think part of it is, um, kind of gray area because it, it depends on what you've decided your vision is for the company. And I think what that really comes down to is do you want to be in client fulfillment or not? Right. There are some people who desire to build an agency and they don't serve clients at all. They just oversee the agency. But there are some people who want to remain in client fulfillment, maybe working with like higher caliber clients. So I would say that's the first part is like how involved do you plan to be in your client fulfillment? Um, I would venture to say in your first couple of years of business, you're not going to be to the point where you can be fully out of it um, just because you want to continue to build the business. You want to make sure the bones are there. Um, but some of the general things that I think are, you know, responsibilities of the CEO revenue as much as we want to, that can't really be that responsibility can't be delegated to anybody, not even your best salesperson, right? You are responsible for the revenue that comes into the business. Um, I would say team management and leadership, even if you have, a COO, whatever you're still ultimately responsible for the development of the entire team, right? Especially the development of the COO. So, um, a lot of my day is spent um, working on training resources for my team. Right now, I'm prepping for maternity leave. My operations manager is going to be pretty much running the show, so we've been doing some pretty intense training there. Um, we're starting to invest in quarterly learning days for the team, so we just, you know, picked up our first one that we're going to be doing here in a couple weeks. Um, and then I think the other thing is probably marketing, right? Like even if you have your best social media manager, marketing manager, whatever, I do think that there, there are going to be parts of marketing that are still on you, whether it be the big picture strategy, whether it be that your company is still pretty forward facing of you. So still showing up and engaging with your community. But yeah, that that's kind of a little bit of like what my day looks like right now, to be honest. So client fulfillment. So coaching my clients, um, leading my team, managing revenue and sales, and then a touch of marketing here and there. Um, but you know, I didn't mention anything about project management or task management or operations because a lot of that has been fully off or off trying to say offloaded and outsourced, but you know what I mean. <laughs> outsourced. Been
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. I think that's really helpful for people because I think, I do think there is confusion about what that role actually looks like and it can start, the, the lines start getting blurred, can't they? You start finding that you're putting your fingers in all the pies and you're helping, you're talking to too many different people, which is obviously yeah. where you, where you come in. Tatiana, this has been so great. Thank you so much for coming mm-hmm. on and talking to me about all of this. And I think everyone's going to get a lot out of this episode. How can people find you and how can people work with you? I know you're just about to have a baby, but how can people find you regardless?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we are on Instagram on two uh, different handles. So underscore Tatiana O'Hara is where you'll find me and everything about my life, what I have going on. And then Grindholics Anonymous um, is our Instagram for our program. And then our website is just TatianaO'Hara.co. When you go there, there's two different portals. One is for, you know, the personal brand side and one is for the the program. Um, I'm always on Instagram more than I should be. Probably even after I have this baby, I'm just going to be on Instagram. Um, so that's probably the best way to reach out. And I love, I love DMs. I love voice notes. I love having conversations. So if you're listening to this and you have any questions or just takeaways, you know, I'd love to, to hear them
0: amazing all the <clears throat> wow I've lost my voice completely thank you sickness <laughs> all of those details will be in the show notes below so definitely go and check Tatiana out Tatiana thank you so much for coming on love chatting thank with you. you thank you so much